Consequence Podcast Network. This episode brought to you by the following patrons. Karoon, Nick B, Sasha, Tristam, Eddie, Dave, Ori, Dylan, Isaac, Kate, Matt, Brandon, Scott, and Chris. And Chris and all the patrons want you to know that you are loved, you are valued, you are listened to in this awesome Horror Virgin community. And if you want to hang out with us, join us in the Horror Virgin community on Facebook. And if you want to hear the continued saga of the Patrioticals and the other Patreon shoutouts, stay tuned to the end of the episode. I do love that this movie answers the question of should Harry and Marv be dead in Home Alone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have notes on that. I have notes on that. <laughs> As if like John McClane was 12 and also a sexual predator, that would be this movie. <laughs> Come up to the roof, smoke a few blunts. Wait, no, he doesn't want to smoke blunts. No. It's going to give him away. Don't smoke a blunt! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for tuning into the Horror Virgin. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your Horror Virgin Todd, which means I don't like watching scary movies, but you guys make me watch them. And this week, Mikey made us watch Better Watch Out. Do you guys want to hear about why? I, I made you watch this film. Yes, I need you need to justify yes. yourself. Thank you. Because when I was watching this, I literally in my mind, like 30 minutes in was thinking, why is this happening to me now? There's a big <laughs> quality gap between holiday films and they're either really, really good or terrible Hallmark movies. There's <laughs> no in between. First, Holy yes. shit, Mikey. I have an idea that you and I and Paige need to pull off. And I that is. Hallmark Holiday Horror. Yeah. It's an alliteration. It's good for TV. And it's It'll got be Christian Chenoweth. How is this not a huge thing already? Vanessa Hudgens is the murderer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's secretly Satan. Because <laughs> she and Satan yes. were switched at birth. <laughs> and one of them is secretly Santa. Because when you rearrange the letters in Satan, Santa. Go ahead, Mikey. We've already written half the script. Are you going to help? <laughs> she, she, she secretly Krampus's daughter. Oh, my God. It makes so much sense. <laughs> no, anyway, there's not enough Christmas horror films. There's a big appetite for them. There's not enough. Let's just be honest with it. When you say big appetite, I'm not sure that that's like super accurate. But I would fully watch Christmas horror okay, movies. Okay. Yes. Did, did you not hear me before we started recording where I was trying to justify the thing as a Christmas <laughs> horror yeah. film? Uh, it because, is. Although yes. I will say this. Christmas horror films did bring us the best line ever uttered in a horror movie, which is yeah. shoot, shoot all Santa's, Santa's on sight. sight. <laughs> yeah. Now, reason two, I like to talk about how I would beat children up. Oh, Mikey. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will be honest with you. I was like, one Mikey would solve this movie's problems in a heartbeat. <laughs> right. Ricky yeah. had a chance to end it all, and he didn't. And that's Ricky's fault. Yeah. So that's why you made us watch it, right? Although I will say this, Mikey. You did say you had not seen this movie before. So you were not responsible for the quality of this movie. I had watched the trailer, and I had heard that it tries some different things, which I think it does. Which, it you does. Know, it's nice that it tried some different things. It swings hard. I will give that for this movie. It swings hard at a premise that is not common, and I feel like it fails miserably, but at least it swings. It takes a shot, and I respect that. I agree with you 100%. I didn't hate it. Okay. I hated it. I hated uh, it, too. I hated it a lot, but I will say it does swing at a premise that no one tries, Yeah, and it does badly, but I do feel like now that I've seen somebody try that premise, I would love to see somebody 
really execute that premise. You mean right. The Good Son, which is a movie we probably should do. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> I have not seen it, so yeah, let's do it. The, I mean, this this movie is half The Good Son, half Funny Games, and I hate Funny Games. I hate Funny Games, too. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I dislike this movie so much, is at a certain point it started really reminding me of poorly done Funny Games, and I was like, I don't like Funny Games at its best, and that I definitely don't like this. Forgive me for asking, are you saying fun and games, or fun Funny games. Funny games. Okay, Funny I've games. never it's, seen that movie. It's a home invasion horror. Okay, those kind of movies, they walk a fine line, and this one does too, of like, there's a line between horror and what feels like a snuff-like film. Like, this yeah. movie doesn't go that far, but like Funny Games does. This feels like torture porn for preteens. Right. This movie reminded me of kind of like a kid trying to tell someone he knows about Funny Games. If somebody <laughs> played telephone with Funny Games. And they were all in the eighth grade. And they were all in the eighth grade we got this movie. <laughs> I like the twist because I, I really, I didn't like the kid for a lot of other reasons before the twist. And then I was like, man, I hate that kid. And I had a good time hating the kid throughout the movie. I was down up to the twist. And even a little bit after the twist, I was like, okay, this is interesting. Nobody's ever done this before. I'm pretty into it. But then that's where they drop the ball for me. And I think part of it is because I'm a true crime nerd. And so serial killers are like my wheelhouse and they do everything wrong. And, like, yeah. there's a lot of things they could have done to really get it right, which would have been terrifying. And instead, they go for, like, stereotypes, like what a kid thinks a serial killer is. Paige, no, I also am a true crime nerd. And when the twist happened, it did not feel like a true psychopath. Yes. It felt like a kid pretending to be what he thinks a psychopath is right. at age 12. Yes. And that, to me, was annoying. There's also, I also had a lot of similar problems with this movie that I had with Strangers. So, if you want to know how I felt about Strangers, listen to that episode. But it's a fucking horrible movie. One of my biggest problems with this, too, is the amount of forethought and planning that allegedly goes into this where they have not necessarily set up this kid as a genius, which is what that kid would need to be to execute this movie. And even then, it's a stretch. It is a stretch that any of this would work. And I feel like there's a much more grounded real life version of this that is probably the good son uh, that would be (laughs) much, much scarier. Well, let's just get into this fucking movie so we can talk about it. Let's do it. So we open on a snowman where we kind of get some credits and no sooner have we seen two or three credits before they hit the snowman with a bat in the face. Yeah. And at this point I was like, oh, this is that kind of I'm in for like a Friday the 13th five in the snow. <laughs> I'm mad that that's not what I got. I need that's every what I... franchise to do a Christmas version of itself. Yes. I want Friday the 13th <laughs> right. at Christmas. That's what I want. Friday the 13th at Christmas. I want Nightmare on Elm Street, Christmas at Elm Street. The Nightmare Before Christmas on Elm Street. I yes. want it. Holy shit, yes. I love it. I want Halloween at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween at Christmas. la 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 Halloween at Christmas. <laughs> I want... A Loomis Family Christmas featuring Michael Myers. I brought you six gifts! (laughs) Get out of my brain! Five golden bullets! Four more bullets, three more bullets, two bullets, and one more bullet in his head. Yes. He falls off the balcony, he just does a snow angel. (laughs) Make it happen. There's so much that can be done. 
All right, we got to stop pitching our Christmas holiday sequel. Have movie, we never done what? Ginger Dead Man? Are you making this up? Is that a real thing? Next Christmas. Yeah. Next Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But yeah, the, the girl who built the snowman chases after the kid who hit it with the bat or whatever and calls him an asshole. And or she whatever says, and, bye, fucker. And it's amazing. Yeah. It's like a, a wasted <laughs> F word in the beginning of this movie. It's really funny. Oh, yeah. Um, so we basically see people shoveling their walk, playing in the snow, playing in their front yard over the credits. And then we cut into a car where a girl, we assume she's about 18 ish because she seems to still be either right out of high school or still in. And she's talking to her mom on the phone. I think they established that she's 17 years old. Yes. Because he's 12 and she's five years older, right? Right. Five and 12 is 17, 17, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm not good at math. Yeah. We don't establish that till later, but that is what we find out. Okay. Okay. So she's on the phone with her mom telling her that she knew that she said she would stay home and pack, but the learners asked her to babysit, which is this family that she's heading off to. And her mom says, we assume, because we're only hearing one side of the conversation. She says she's not going to sneak off and see Ricky. And then she almost hits a black cat in front of the neighbor's house. Harbinger. Yeah, that's the first time we see the black cat. Now, what's really interesting and never really pays off in the movie is that as she's driving, it looks like a black SUV pulls out and follows her. Yes, it does. It's a very ominous SUV or an OSUV, as I call and it them. Never but it off. never pays off. It never pays off. Because it can't be the kid, right? It can't I, I be never the... noticed the SUV. Unless it's Jeremy's SUV. Oh. No, because Jeremy's 30 minutes away. That's yeah. right. He establishes that he's 30 minutes that's away. That's true. Can't be and him. it takes him 30 minutes to get her. Yeah, so they never pay that SUV off. No. It's super dumb. It's not dumb. It's like a Chekhov's SUV that never pays off. Right. Which bothers me. Yes. Well, there's a lot of things in this movie that, like, if you try to unravel it and go back and find out how it happened, it doesn't hold up. You mean like a catapult outside? The trebuchet outside, yes. But also, we'll go through as things come up as to whether or not they actually make sense and pay off. Because there's about half of his initial plan that doesn't pay off. Uh, We cut to interior, the learner's house, where two young boys, one is Garrett, the other is Luke, are playing video games. Well, one of them is playing video games. The other one is reading an article about how to make girls horny, I guess. Yes. Um, This is also where we get the first paint can debate uh, and the mention of Home Alone, which the... Here's how I know this was a fairly recent movie is the Mythbusters episode that they're referencing saying that it would kill people only aired like five or six years ago. So this movie literally was made almost right after that aired. It would have been like the same year. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, as he's talking about it, Garrett basically says she's twice our age. This is where we find out that there is a five-year age difference and he says that she's a solid 10 and luke is basically like she likes me it's now or never don't mess up my plan basically right because she's moving to pittsburgh like she's literally moving moving next week to pittsburgh but he's 12 she's 17 yeah that's insane yes This is kind of a similar thing that happens in The Babysitter. For the first 30 minutes of this movie are basically The Babysitter. I haven't seen. Is that a Christmas movie? No. It's got that same dynamic of a boy who is too old to have a babysitter. I don't know about you guys. I was home alone at 12. Like, I don't... Well, so for me, it was a little bit different because I had older siblings, right? Right. My my sister is literally a year older than the age difference that this one is. She's six years older than me, right? Right. So, like, I when I was 12, there were 
were 17 and 18 year old girls hanging out at my place, hanging out with my sister. And I was never like, oh, I'm going to try and sleep with one of them. Like that is an insane well, premise to me that he is like on board for like dicking down his 17 year old babysitter. That premise is insane. But I would say I was babysitting regularly at 13, babysitting other people. Oh, oh. Yeah. yeah. But because of the age difference for me, I never had a babysitter. I, I can't remember having a babysitter from when I was like six on because my siblings were old enough to take care of me. And that's why they hated me as a child. Yeah, yeah. that was me too. I was always the babysitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and I know Mikey understands this because he was the oldest. So he was that person. But my brother uh, Brandon and my sister Heather had to take care of me and my middle brother Logan. We were the ones they took right. care of. But we didn't really have many babysitters. Uh, my sister and I had babysitters but by the time we were the age in this movie because my sister and I are fairly close in age um, by the time I was 13 I was babysitting a bunch of other people and she was 11 so I would say by the time I was 11 or 12 I was home alone it just wasn't a big deal like you can't drive you can't go anywhere imagine my parents going out for a date when I was 13 or 12 is that because they were having problems or like well just you know actually you know (laughs) yeah they were having problems but I mean like when I would I would like rent a they would leave me pizza money I'd buy I mean like I just can't imagine having a babysitter that old it's just ridiculous and this is again the same thing in the babysitter where he's like 12 or 13 and really shouldn't have a babysitter he should probably be alone this kid should probably be alone I just, I chalked it up to his parents just being insane. I think his parents suspect there's something wrong with him. And there are some hints of that later in the movie that just don't yeah, pay Yeah, we need off. to talk about Kevin type kid yes. right here. And that, yeah. and that is something that like, if that's your kid, you're not leaving them with anybody else. Like no. the, the whole premise goes away. Anyway, as they're talking, his mom walks in right as Garrett, his friend says, I hope you get some ass. <laughs> I did sort of love that just because like I remember like having those conversations and then my dad walking in the room or there was one time I was with my high school girlfriend and it was like I just gotten my first cell phone and I pocket dialed my dad while I was talking to my girlfriend and you know like you say some shit when you're talking to your high school girlfriend in her car by yourself and I hear my dad like hello <laughs> and then I like picked up the phone and I just hear my dad laughing. Oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> because he know he knew what was happening. So this is where his mom lays it out where basically he has to be in bed by eleven. She left pizza money, etc. She goes back downstairs where we meet Patrick Warburton, who is his dad, and is only in like three scenes of this movie, which is nuts. And he's com- I mean, I'm sure they couldn't afford him for more than that. Yeah. He's great. I love him. I love he's him too. Always great. He's complaining that his ornaments aren't on the tree. And we revealed <laughs> that they're ornaments of fancy shoes. Like ballet slippers, I think. Yeah. And at this point the mom is like, Are you basically are you sure you're not gay? You didn't accidentally suck a <laughs> cock in college, don't remember it. Like <laughs> she and she so goes funny. in. Like yeah. The way these two parents talk to each other is bonkers. It belongs in Just Friends. It doesn't belong yeah. in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah, they absolutely hate each other and are staying together because they fear their child is a psychopath and they may have to tag team them later. Yes, yeah. They they yeah. walked out of like holiday. Mikey. I saw your face. I don't mean like <laughs> something gross, you bastard. We also, at this point, cover that there's a white noise machine under the kid's bed. 
But it doesn't play white noise. It's a fetus machine. Yeah, it it, pay, it plays heartbeats. It's a fetus, a fetus machine. machine. That's so creepy. Yeah, it's like what you would hear as a fetus inside your mother's womb. Which there's this and then there's like one or two other very, very small beats that are trying for something in the serial killer realm and falling very short. And I think you can kind of piece it together, but the movie doesn't tell you and it just doesn't really do its due diligence about his condition, I would say. Patrick Warburton answers the door for the babysitter. And at first it seems like he's creepy, but then in my mind I was like, he's secretly gay. She's fine. Um. <laughs> <laughs> he sort of is. because, And I, I will say, I do think he comes off a little bit creepy at first. I don't think he's trying to. He's like, oh, you're gorgeous. Yeah. I love your sweater. But then you're like, oh no, he just is in the closet. She's his beard. She's sick of being his beard for the past 13 years. So she hates him. Like I really understood their story, even though they're in the movie 30 seconds. Right, right, right. Like she's a horrible woman in these scenes but i sort of get it i i felt like she was just a sarcastic mom i don't think we get good or bad from her (laughs) oh okay okay just like i don't think we get good or bad from him although we do potentially get closeted gay um but i don't necessarily (laughs) i i didn't read i didn't read his mom as anything but a sarcastic mom okay that's true but it's very like biting (laughs) yeah she's very mean Some I see that some of you don't have a sarcastic mom. Um, not on this <laughs> level, no. <laughs> it is how you get one of these. <laughs> so what you're saying is your dad's a metrosexual. Um, my dad takes us to get pedicures on a regular basis. Aww. I would say that my dad is fully in touch with his feminine and masculine side and fully secure yeah. in his sexuality. Uh, and my mother hates romantic comedies. <laughs> <laughs> and willingly took me to see Scorpion King as a mother-daughter outing. <laughs> so, Paige, you grew up in this household is what you're saying. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I'm not a serial killer, I promise. As a man that loves musicals and has had many pedicures with his girlfriends, I am a huge fan of your dad. So Yeah, get into it. Pedicures are great for everybody. Uh, the weekend yeah, of my amazing. wedding, he talked my husband into getting his first pedicure. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I would pay money to see Jake get a pedicure. I have pictures. Um, oh. So great. In this scene, we find out that Lucas has been sleepwalking again. And she's basically telling the babysitter, Ashley, like, you have to basically put this pencil on his door. So it looks like he, you know, has been asleep the whole time. And we know if he gets out. Um, This is one of those other things that made me wonder. Because they're giving, allegedly giving him sleeping pills. Yeah. Although we find out later that the whole sleepwalking thing is fake it is yes but it made me wonder if they were locking his door for a different reason yeah no i could see that 100 yeah. i could see that i didn't get that read i just thought that they were ignorant of his evil ways they're not ashley full-blown reveals that they're not later yeah. So they know there's something wrong with him. But I don't think we get the extent of what they know. They find Garrett raiding their medicine cabinet, stealing pills, which doesn't really pay off until later when Lucas gives him pills. But like, we don't know why he's raiding the medicine cabinet. I honestly thought he was looking for itch cream because his shoulder does itch. Like, I didn't even think he was raiding that for pills. He has pills even in his hand. Even though he literally swipes pills into a pill box like he was yeah. going through pills. Mm-hmm. I This movie does, it sets up so many things that don't quite pay off. It's like confusing on some level and that's annoying. Uh, the parents leave for their Christmas party bickering at each other the whole way. Oh, I did love that she is like talking about how, please don't wear that tie. It's yeah. like really effeminate or 
whatever she says. So he takes off that tie and then pulls out another Christmas tie. And has an identical <laughs> tie. <laughs> it wasn't quite identical, but it was it was same over-the-top Christmassy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nothing feminine about over-the-top Christmas things. No, I love it. And I know as someone, Mikey, that was just called a Christmas daddy at work, you're going to get defensive <laughs> about Christmas stuff. I just like to decorate. <laughs> <laughs> he wants to decorate your heart, ladies. <laughs> Dick the halls. Oh God, oh. Maggie, why, why? I love it. I love it though. But why? At this point, Lucas is trying to watch a scary movie because he read earlier that that's what makes girls horny. It seems like fear is what makes them horny. So we think that this is what he's setting up: is that they're going to watch a scary movie and kind of get romantic girls do snuggle more during scary movies sometimes. yeah yeah that's a thing and and that's a movie trope that's well tread but i didn't google like what makes a girl horny what movie types i don't think that's what he was googling like it's like later i think he's just thinking fear not necessarily specific to a movie well yeah he's a terrible monster that yeah. needs to be murdered yeah that needs to be murdered <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> while he's setting the movie up she goes into the kitchen to make a call she tells him to p- play video games or something she is talking to her boyfriend ricky and she's probably breaking up with him is what it sounds like as she's doing that uh there's a spider on the counter she's telling ricky maybe come over around 11 30 i'll think about it but there's a big spider on the counter crawls on her hand she tells lucas to kill it and he won't kill it he lets it outside um although it comes back a couple times but here's the thing. Knowing what we know about that spider in the end, he let it outside. That spider's gone. He fully let it go outside. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that it comes back a couple times is ridiculous. And it is the same spider. Yeah. That spider is now free from <laughs> captivity. Yeah. I thought they were different spiders that came back. This to me is a callback to Buzz's spider in Home Alone. Yeah. I think so too. The tarantula. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So she continues the call and is basically like, well, maybe if the kid falls asleep early. Yeah. She keeps referring to him as a kid and it looks like it like really it hurts, hurts him. him. Yeah. Uh, then she does what I would say is the most unrealistic babysitter thing ever and does their laundry i don't know if you guys have ever done somebody else's laundry in their house while you're babysitting like if you were a (laughs) nanny that makes sense but like a one-night babysitter you ain't paying me to do laundry absolutely not like some babysitters did clean the house and do, do stuff like that I'll say this, like, if someone had asked me, be like, hey, I threw some stuff in the washer, would you mind just throwing it in the dryer? Totally. I I could see that. But no, I would not proactively touch anything in the house, but largely because I'd be afraid to break it. Yeah, it's not my house. Although, let's be honest, I've never babysat in my life because no one wanted to make that mistake. (laughs) Uh, So she looks for him throughout the house. She finds him. She sits on the couch and starts a horror movie, and he comes in drinking a bottle of champagne. Yes. This was the moment I was like oh you need to call his parents right now yeah and then take that fucking champagne bottle away from him right now like she is the world's worst babysitter this for me was the first indication that he was not good that something was fucking wrong yeah a 12 year old like fisting a bottle of champagne (laughs) is not a good sign not well not only that the the things that he says during this scene where he's like Garrett can't hold his liquor like me like he's trying to brag about it And it's so out of character. It's so completely out of what we've seen for the rest of the movie that I'm just like, no, 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 no. Something is wrong 
with you. Especially because she's been babysitting him since he was eight. Right. So she knows this kid. She knows that this is out of character. She even addresses that it's out of character. This is where she ends up pouring the champagne down the drain, calls her boyfriend and like, yeah, don't come over. He's fucked up, basically. <laughs> like, this kid's fucking weird. She drinks some champagne. He catches her. They basically make a deal of like, I won't tell if you don't, which is like, mm, no, that's bad. He's 12. Yeah. I realize that she shouldn't have drank either, but she still needs to tell the parents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And at this point, she's like, hey, let's get some food in you. I'll order some pizza. But before she can, the phone rings and there is no one on the other line. Right. She goes back into the room with him. They're screaming. It's a horror movie. He brings up like, why are you dating Ricky? He's a jerk. And she's like... <laughs> hey, first of all, you don't really know him. There's a really nice side to him. You're sweet, but you're too young. If I was your age, maybe I would date you. Like, she lays down the line of, like, this is not happening. And then she says, oh, shit, I forgot to order the pizza, except the doorbell rings and there's pizza there. And she's like, I didn't order it. And she answers the door, says that they didn't order it, and they basically say, somebody ordered this. And the kid, Lucas, is like, well, maybe it was my dad, except... That when they were talking about pizza earlier, he said no mushrooms, and the pizza that they receive has mushrooms. So who ordered it? I think Garrett ordered it. I think that's the only way it works. I mean, I don't think Garrett ordered it. I don't think anybody ordered it because no one owns up to it. We don't see any of that. This is one of those things that really drives me insane. Like, this could have been like, oh, that was part of the plan the whole time? No, it wasn't. It was just a weird thing that happened that never gets explained. I think it is part of the plan, but I think he intended for her to order pizza and for pizza to come faster than she anticipated. Like, I think it is part of the plan, and he just doesn't know that she didn't order pizza. Because he couldn't have planned on her not ordering pizza. Does that make sense? I guess, yeah. But my thinking was Garrett ordered it. Because Garrett is also orchestrating a lot of stuff outside right now. Yeah. That we don't know it's him yet. But to me, that made sense. Because Garrett wouldn't necessarily know not to do mushrooms. But his dad would. Which is why when she's like, why are there mushrooms on this if your dad ordered it? Like, your dad would know not to order mushrooms. So that's what made me think it was Garrett later on. I mean, you're probably right, but it's never explained. It's never explained. He cuddles up next to her and puts his hand on her leg. She takes his hand off. She ignores a call from Ricky and she asks him, what are your family's plans for the holidays? And he just says drinking and arguing. (laughs) Just like everybody else. Yeah. Well, and I think he's trying to paint his family as not great. But I don't think they're not great. Like, we can't believe anything he says. And there's no concrete evidence to suggest that necessarily. If you don't think the wife is sarcastic and you think she's more really mean and terrible, then... Yeah, I guess. I would believe it. Now, in the midst of this, he lit candles and told her it was for ambiance. And then when she takes the call from Ricky again, he blows the candles out. Looking back, I think the candles are a signal out the window. Because this kind of kicks everything off. I, okay, so maybe, I don't know if that is a signal. I think it was he was trying to use the candles to like see if she was in the mood and if he could do this consensually. Yeah. And then when she takes that phone call, because she then refers to him as a kid again, right. he's like, okay, it's about to get real gross and Todd's going to be very uncomfortable with the rest of this movie. Yeah, so she basically sits back down on the couch with him and says, you'll always be my little buddy, you know that, right? She gets scared from the movie and kind of grabs his hand because they're sitting right next to each other and he uses the this is a chance to try and kiss her and she tries to push him off and he 
fights her. Yeah, this is what the movie turned for me. Because uh, bef- like, yeah. before this, I was like, oh, he's like creepy. Hopefully he like learns his lesson and apologizes. And then after this, I was like, oh, he's he's the villain. Yeah, th- this was the point where it was like, this is too far. Anyone else who really cared about her did not have designs on hurting her. Once she was like, no, please stop and kind of tried to push him off would have backed off and been like, I'm sorry, I misjudged, whatever. Right, right. The fact that he literally fights her because he is fighting her at this point. And the only thing that stops him is the house phone rings and there's no one on the other line. And then there's a voice that just says, I can see you. And then she asks, is this Jeremy? Now, we found out from the conversation earlier that Jeremy is her ex-boyfriend who it is theorized at this point in the movie that Jeremy's a little fucked up and maybe a little creepy and stalky. Yeah. And so that's who she thinks it is. Uh, So she says, if you can see me, how many fingers am I holding up? And she flips the bird. This is going to show up again later. Now, at this point, she makes Lucas turn the movie off, give her the champagne. She doesn't think it's Jeremy. She It doesn't seem to be him. But as she turns, the Santa that was outside the front door is now outside the window, which is just a quick little jump scare or whatever. And the back door is open again. She asks him to throw her her phone to call 911. He throws it directly into the fish tank. There's a knock at the door. There's no one there. There's another knock. There's no one there. Then Garrett jumps into the room. But there was a house phone, right? You could have called 911 from the house phone? Yeah, I don't know. They could have. Also, we did see the phone go into the water, and there's no cellophane or bag around it. Yeah. That drives me insane in about 30 minutes when he brings that phone out and is like, oh, it's fine. I thought he threw a phone that looked like. A decoy phone. Yeah, I think it's a decoy phone. Well, then why does he pull it out, take it out of a bag, and then start using it? I think he may have hidden her phone. I don't know. But it's one of those things that doesn't pay off well in this movie. No, at all. So at this point, she asks if Lucas went in the backyard. He says no, but the door is open. And she says, stay here. They should fucking run. If this was a real home invasion, fucking run to the neighbor. Like, get out now. Yeah. Call 911 right now. Yeah. She says, if I scream, press send and hide. No, she should be calling now. But they follow her upstairs. She has them stay right behind her. We hear glass break because somebody threw a brick through the window and the brick says, if you leave, you die. She, at this point, says someone's about to spend Christmas in fucking jail and call tries to call 911, but none of the phones work. Basically, the lines are cut is what they're telling her. Yeah. And all none of their Wi-Fi is working. Now, how they're able to like, oh, my cell phone doesn't have service. I think they just lie to her. Yeah, I think they just lie yeah. to her too because Garrett's in on it and he's the one that says that. Right. Uh, so she basically says, we need to find a security panel thinking she'll trigger their security system and send the cops. And they're like, we don't have a security system. And so then at that point, she's like, we just need to get in my car and go to the cops. Like at, at this point, she's doing everything right. Right. Yeah. But all of the tires are flat. And so the headlights turn on outside. They try to duck down into the house. Garrett tries to run outside through the backyard. And we think he gets sniped. Uh, What actually happens is he trips a wire outside. We find out later. But the amount of wires around this house are in. He would have had to set this up weeks in advance. It's such a complicated plan. (laughs) They can't work. They try to pull this movie off like evil Home Alone. Yes. I will argue that Home Alone is evil and Kevin McAllister is a psychopath. But I do feel (laughs) like that they are going for that. And they also miss that mark as well. Yeah. 
We find out that it's just a paintball gun that's got red pellets in right. it, so it looks like blood. So she tackles Lucas to the ground, thinking that somebody is shooting people outside. She thinks Garrett's dead. She tells him, we're going to go upstairs and hide, uh, and then we're going to scream until the neighbors can hear. And he says, my parents have a gun. We need to get it and hide. They go upstairs. There's somebody in the house upstairs looking around the house with a flashlight. They climb into the attic, and they're sitting next to the hatch, the hatch comes out of their upstairs laundry, which is very nice. Very nice feature in a home. <laughs> <laughs> and they basically say that they're just going to stay up there until the invaders leave. Yeah, they're like in the attic. Yeah. He pressures her because he wants to get his parents' gun. So he climbs further into the attic, which is how she gets a spider on her. She freaks out, falls through the hatch. He catches her. And they climb back down into the laundry room. He goes to get the gun. The laundry machine goes off, revealing her position. But nobody comes for her, which was right. my clue that, like, what's going on? Also, she yelled yeah. very loudly when she fell. Yeah. And nobody comes for her. Yeah. He rushes back in. He's like, I've got the gun. I think he's downstairs. They run into the bedroom. Uh, one of the people with the gun walks into the bedroom as well. They hide behind the door. And then in the closet... A toy goes off in the closet. The guy in the mask and coat comes back in with what looks like a shotgun. And they're looking under the bed. And then she realizes, hey, that's Garrett's mask from earlier. Yeah. She figures it out pretty good. Yeah, she's smart. Yeah. They come out of the closet. She basically confronts them like, is this a prank? And says, what delusional infant thinks staging a break-in will get you to second base? At this point, we think that that's the whole thing. But then Lucas slaps her. She falls down the stairs, clearly yeah. unconscious. And now, yeah. and now gun. he's got the gun. Yes. Yeah. Wait, did he pistol whip her or did he just slap her? No, he slaps her across the face with his hand, but she falls back. But I mean, either way, yeah. she falls down a flight of a steps. Flight like of that stairs. would not be good for her. Like later when she's like, I think I need to go to the hospital. I'm pretty sure I have a concussion. She's right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Knowing what you know now, do you think that his original plan was to stage the break-in so that she would be scared and he would fight them off and she would be with him? Or do you think it was his plan to kill her exes all along? Oh, I think he was going to try to get her to sleep with him. He was still going to murder her, Garrett, and the boyfriends. I think so, too. Uh-huh. I, I, think, I think the sex would have been a bonus. Yeah. Uh, but I think his whole plan was to murder as many people as possible this, this night. Yeah, I think so, too. I honestly don't know, but I, I hate him. I mean, yeah, he's very infuriating. And the way he plays it on screen, you're just like, he was pretty good at making me hate him. I, I, yeah, I agree yeah. with you, Paige, that he wasn't like quite cold-blooded enough. He was like emotional teenager, cold-blooded in a weird way, like emotionally. He's playing a Bond villain. Yeah, but I like bonkers 13-year-old Bond villains. Sure, in a different <laughs> movie, I'm here for it. But like in this movie where he, I would say he wins through the entire movie till the very end, it sucks. I hate watching yeah. it. No one gains any ground on him. It's literally, he's invincible until the end. And it's not fun. It, like, I don't yeah, like not. it. Yeah. I'm I'm here for a crazy Bond villain level teenager that has true competition. We could talk about how a, a satisfying ending would be when we get there. Yeah. But I, I think yeah. I think part of it was you get introduced to this guy you want to see go down, and we don't get that. Yeah. Like how we I wanted him straight up murdered on screen. Same. Same. I wanted Mikey to come in there and start <laughs> yeah. haymakering him left and right until he's dead from beat to death by Mikey. Yeah. It was Mikey in the living room with the fists. <laughs> like I wanted it to be that level of a cool game. There's a certain point where it's literally down to him and her. And I desperately wanted her to beat him to death. 
Yes, that's not yeah. what we get. Yeah. That's not what we get at all. But so she wakes up. She's duct taped to a chair. Garrett's scootering around the house. And Lucas is kind of cleaning everything up. And they're drinking. And this is where we reveal that he gave Garrett Oxy. I think he was trying to make Garrett overdose. I think he was trying to knock Garrett out. I think he wanted Garrett out of the way. Okay. He opens his phone. He's tracking where his parents are. It's like the Find My app on your phone. Right. Which is not uncommon for a parent to have with their kids. Yeah, of course. He has duct tape over her mouth. They put lipstick over it. And he's like playing around with like her being his captive. Yeah. It's, I mean. And she is, I mean, yeah. Paige, she is his captive. Yeah. No, I mean, but I, he's like treating it like a Bond villain of like, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Like, he's not, <laughs> it's not content for her to be his captive. He's dangling it. He's cocky. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he basically is like, I, I don't want to shoot you. Uh, if I take the gag off, you won't scream. But if you do, I'll shoot you. She, at this point, tries to make the case that she should go to the hospital. And he's yeah. like, no, we're going to play truth or dare that's what we're gonna do he asks her the first one truth or dare she says truth he says how many guys have you fucked and she says none and this is where we find out that she broke up with jeremy because he told people that she had had sex with him yeah yeah she's very likable she is yeah she does a lot of stupid stuff in this movie but she is likable so we then switch to luke garrett dares him i dare you to touch her tit and this is where he sexually assaults her yeah he fully sexually assaults her i was very glad that they didn't show it on camera. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think they made some tasteful choices not to show that kind of stuff on camera. Like, funny games where you've been, like, right there. Like, yeah. And, but I was just like, oh, this is disgusting. I, like, I, you hate this kid. You hate him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're watching a 12-year-old sexually assault a 17-year-old. Yeah. At gunpoint. Yeah, which is not fun. And she basically is like, you're going to be in so much trouble when your parents come home. And he basically just pushes her chair gets really close to her and just says they're never gonna find out and then goes back to playing truth or dare and she says truth did you ever tell garrett that you killed his hamster that was dirty i love yeah it. and he said it was an accident it was like two years ago and they continue playing and garrett says dare and you better dare us to make out at this point, he's like, no, like that wasn't part of the deal. Like I'm the one who. Yeah, like, she's my babysitter. You can't touch her. Yep. Yeah, it's gross. Garrett at that point is like, um, pass. I'm out. <laughs> like, bye. This is getting out of hand. And so they go to argue in the other room. She scoots and gets a flashlight and flashes out the window. But as we'll find out later, the neighbors aren't home, so it doesn't matter. But they come in just in time to catch her with the flashlight. And this is where they try to roofie her. And I think, I mean, it doesn't happen in this movie. I think if he successfully roofied her, he was going to sexually assault her while she was under. Definitely. Yeah. I assume so, too. Yeah. He was going to fully rape his babysitter. Yes. Yeah. So... They basically put Rufy's in a bottle of Chardonnay. They're trying to get her to drink it. And she basically kicks the bottle and breaks it. And the doorbell rings. And it's Ricky there to see Ashley. And yeah. here's the weird thing is he says she texted me like half an hour ago to come over. But we know that Ashley was unconscious a half hour ago. So who texted him? Well, and also she was like, don't come over. He's insane. Like she had already said that earlier yeah. on the phone to him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is when I was like, oh, this kid doesn't doesn't just want to rape his babysitter. Like he's he's completely psychopath. Like he wants to hurt as many people as possible. Yeah. And they're trying to kind of distract Ricky. They get him upstairs. Luke hits him across the head with a baseball bat and knocks Ricky unconscious. And at this point, I'm like, oh, this kid's a serial killer. This, this is yes. he's a serial killer. 
Ricky gets up, tosses Luke to the ground. Luke stabs him with a pencil. Ricky goes after him with the bat. Garrett has the gun. So Garrett points the gun at him and he he gets down on his knees. Now, there was a hot second where Ricky could have hit Luke with the bat and ended this. And he hesitates because it's a kid. That's a mistake. Ricky is clearly not a psychopath, but Luke is because Luke hits him again with the bat and takes him downstairs and ties him up next to Ashley. And this is where we learn that he's out of roofies, but they can't let Ricky go. If I've learned anything from my Kung Fu master, Mikey, it is that when you get the upper hand on a psycho child, (laughs) you hit them with a bat. They have you have to go until unconsciousness if you're if somebody's trying to murder you. Yeah. Well, and I think he didn't think the kid was trying to murder him at this point. I I, I don't know what he thought, but like he's been stabbed in the face with a pencil. Like yeah. at this point, I'm gonna murder that child. If somebody stabs in the face with a pencil and they're not my kid, they're going through a window. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like he would have been thrown out the second floor. And then I would have <laughs> walked downstairs, found my girlfriend tied up, and been like, oh, thank God I'm not going to prison. Right. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely, Mikey. I'll say this. Had Mikey been either of the boyfriends, the the current or ex, this movie would have ended very differently. (laughs) Yes. Everyone would have survived. Well, like, okay, this is what I don't like about movies that take place in like a house. Unless it's like a huge mansion. It's like if you yell from someone and they don't answer and then this person's making a bunch of excuses like why they're not answering, this person is evil and they're they're after you. You have to like get them. Yeah. Where's so-and-so? Oh, she doesn't want to talk to you. She's in the other room. I'd have been like, show me now or I'm going to kill you. absolutely (laughs) although in all fairness i've been at parties with mikey where he says where's the tequila and i've been like i don't know he goes show me where it is now or i'll kill you so that's like a common thing he says uh although it was probably scotch not tequila now that i think about it we were at a house party like in the last year and like i could i could hear todd from across the house so like i know where todd is and if i yelled where's todd someone would be like oh i don't know but i could hear him like you know i don't know well to be fair you could hear todd across the grand canyon (laughs) so at this point they now have a problem because ricky's there and he's a witness then basically ricky says let me go garrett can go with me we'll create an alibi ashley turns to ricky and says well why didn't you listen i said i'd text you and he's like you did text me and this is where we find out that Luke texted him on purpose to come over and he had no intention of keeping him alive. He was just going to kill him. That was going to be yep. the plan. He tells Garrett to go take a walk and chill out. Now, here's my frustration. Clearly, he intended to also either kill or incapacitate Garrett. I think he was going to kill Garrett the whole time. I think time. so, too. I think what Garrett thought is that the home invasion prank that he took part of was the main prank. That was the only thing he was signing up for. That was the only thing he was signing okay. up for. And everything after this has been an accident. And now they're just having to manage the outcome of what they did. I don't think he realizes. And I think this is the first indication that Luke has planned much more of this than what he intended to be a part of. Yes. And if I was Garrett at this point, I would have tried to run. Yes. Yeah. But Garrett's an idiot. Well, he doesn't know that the guns aren't loaded which we'll find out later but i think he thinks that luke has it under control and that they're just kind of cleaning stuff up and the longer the movie goes on and the longer that it's obvious that luke has planned this basically revenge killing night i don't understand why garrett stays 
because if I was Garrett, I would be like, oh, he's clearly going to kill me also. There's no way I'm getting out of this. I do think the intent was to kill Garrett at some point. Yeah. I think he kills him in a way he did not intend to. Yeah, which now means he has to do more cleanup. Yeah, exactly. I think he's more annoyed of the way he had to kill him than that he had to kill him, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I like I said, I thought he was going to try and make him OD on Oxy, which is probably why Same. he was getting the pills. Um, So this is where he pulls her phone out of the tank and it magically works because it's in some sort of bag or whatever. Yeah. And he's trying to get her to invite Jeremy to come see her at the house. And he threatens to shoot her if she doesn't invite him. She calls his bluff and he calls and invites jeremy and jeremy agrees to come over well, we found out later that jeremy's an idiot jeremy's an idiot i have a fun fact about jeremy that i found moments ago while we were starting the zoom call <laughs> meanwhile ashley has managed to get a piece of glass off the floor and she's cutting the tape off but it's cutting her hand in the process yeah she tries to appeal to basically luke's emotions of like hey you were sad when you killed that hamster like why are you doing this and then he leans in and says it wasn't an accident which is supposed to be part of the mcdonald triad that we'll go into later yeah 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 but this is basically them being like, he kills animals. So Ricky says that he needs to go to the bathroom and pees his pants. But this is enough to distract Luke so that she can get at least one of her hands free. And Ricky turns out to be a really nice guy. At this yeah, point. Ricky, Ricky does his monologue of like, I know you've been avoiding me. And I know you're moving out and I'm super proud of you. And I just want you to be happy. And you don't have to worry about me. And yes. like, I just want to spend time with you till you left. And I was like, oh, Ricky. Yeah. Also, really bad timing, though. She really needs to focus on getting free. So right. shut up, Ricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad he did because those are like his last words. That Okay, that also fair. Yeah. Also fair. I've been high-roaded. I can acknowledge <laughs> I've been high-roaded, and that's fine. Well, and I, I think he knows, too, where he's like, this kid's fucking nuts, and I will probably have to die so she can get away. So Oof. we also reveal at this point that Jeremy, the other ex, lives 30 minutes away, and we have time to kill. So Luke sits behind them and aims the gun at them and he basically is like i want to watch you two have sex basically to test whether or not she's a virgin insane and they reveal that they've never had sex and so thankfully he doesn't do it and we hear coughing from the next room because Garrett is smoking weed in the house, which I don't know if he planned or not. I got the impression it wasn't planned. I thought so too, but then it leads to the paint can, which then also wouldn't have had to have been planned. But then the way that he kind of cleans and sets everything up at the end really feels like it was planned. And I think that's part of the movie where it's like, is it planned or is it not? And if it's not, then there's no way he'd be smart enough to do this. Yeah, I don't think the marijuana came in because he's like, I want drugs in his system. But Ricky doesn't need drugs in his system because he's because according to his plan, he's murdered by Jeremy. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, he's a teenager. Drugs aren't going to be in his system that long by the time people get to it. Like, it doesn't matter. He's going to yeah. be dead. And also... He's worried about the smell of the marijuana in the house being a problem for the mom when she gets home. Yes. So he needs to be able to account for that right. so he can say it's in Ricky's system. Ricky was clearly smoking pot. Oh. But I don't think she's going to give a shit about a marijuana smell in her house when there are three dead people. Sorry, four dead people yeah. in the house. Like, that is just such an over-exaggeration of what he would care about and what she would care about. Right. But they 
force Ricky to smoke, even though he doesn't want to. Smoke is coming out of a hole in his face from the pencil. Right. And they pull him into the room where Garrett was smoking. I will say that I love his angry, high-pitched, like, changing voice. Voice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The psycho. That It just sounds terrifying. At this point, Garrett is talking to Ricky. And Ricky's like, why are you hanging out with him? And he says, he's my best friend. And Ricky says... Are you sure about that? Because I think yeah, at this point, he's fully not. yeah, everyone, everyone, I think realizes that Luke is going to kill everybody. Like it's Garrett is just a matter of time. And so at this point, he grabs a paint can and a rope and he decides that he's going to prove Garrett wrong. Because at the beginning of the movie, Garrett disagreed with him about whether or not the paint can would kill people. And so he's basically going to prove it now. Ashley's trying to cut herself out of the duct tape and she makes it. The paint can swings from the second floor and misses Ricky. And Garrett says, you're going to kill him. Stop it. And basically he's like, oh, so you admit that it would kill somebody. Let's try it one more time. He pulls it up. Well, the first time he throws it down, he's also like, is it at the right level? Yes. Yeah. Is it going to hit his head? Which I thought was pretty funny. (laughs) Uh, Ashley gets free. She grabs the gun. She basically goes to fire at Luke, except the gun has no bullets in it. He throws the paint can over the staircase. It kills Ricky. His head explodes. He laughs and tells Garrett, I told you so. She tries to fire the gun again, but it is not loaded. And he says a responsible gun owner always keeps the ammo separate. So he never had a loaded gun all the time he was threatening her. Nothing. So she takes off running with still attached to the chair. She's gotten two legs and one arm free. Yeah. Garrett chases her and begs her to come back. And I think at this point, Garrett is now afraid of what Luke will do. Oh, yeah. I mean, Garrett is a bad person, but fully still a victim in this. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, she basically knocks Garrett unconscious, breaks his glasses. She trips on the trip wires. This is how she finds out about the paintballs. Uh, she breaks the chair and climbs over the fence into the neighbor's yard. There are carolers. And as she runs towards them, she hits another trip wire or gets hit with the brick. It's unclear. No, I think she gets hit with the brick because we see it later. Yeah. It's the same brick that and was yeah. in the house. In half. But in this world, we did not see the brick hit her. We saw her what looked like trip and fell into the into the snow. Yeah, right? it, it looked like another trip wire. Yeah. And then with the broken brick, you're like, oh, okay. So they just broke the brick over her head and she's not dead. And we didn't see it hit her at all. Right. Like, these are the problems that I had with the stranger. Like, they're just things happen that they expect you to just be okay with. You're like, well, we didn't see that. Right. That's not what happened. Right. It's like gaslighting you into believing things happened that they did not show you happened. Right. We cut to later where Luke is listening to the carolers outside his house. (laughs) I did like that. He was like, "Mm." he he Mm -hmm. made them all coffee. It was probably hot cocoa. Hot cocoa. <laughs> it's scary, but yeah. We cut to <laughs> yeah. inside where she is duct taped and tied up with Christmas lights that he plugged in for some reason. Well, if you're going to be a Christmas psychopath, you got to go all the way. Babe. I guess. Yeah, you got to really get into the Christmas psychopath spirit. Babe. Yeah. He's decking her halls. Like if I'm okay, if I'm ever going to tie some up with Christmas lights. Oh, Mikey, tell me all about this fantasy you have. <laughs> but I mean, like, it doesn't matter what time of year is, and it doesn't matter the situation, if I'm a good guy or a bad guy. You're going you're gonna to be like, this would be better if they were turned on. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> you mean the woman, if she was turned on? No, just the lights. It could be a guy, it could be a child, it could be an adult, it could be a grandparent. Who knows? It could be Kurt Russell as Santa using right. what he has in his Ooh, arsenal. That is a Christmas daddy right there. Now, here's my question. Because they're turned on, if she tries to rip through them, will it electrocute her? Maybe that's why. 
Oh, I don't know. I don't I, know. I feel that. like they would just short out because they're Christmas lights yeah. and they notoriously suck. But yeah. I don't know. Uh, but at this point, Garrett is next to her, not tied up. And at this point, I'm like, why isn't Garrett running? Like, why is this not oh, now Garrett's ran. mad dash oh, to get away? Yeah. yeah. If I was Garrett, I would have run and then fully tried to get help. But I would have run knowing that they may die while I'm running to get help. Yeah. You know, but I can't do anything to help them right now. The best thing I could do would be to go get help. Yes, absolutely. And Garrett then at this point. So he tells Ash, he's like, tough break. The neighbors are in Florida, but I got rid of Ricky for you. And she knees him in the stomach because clearly she didn't want to get rid of Ricky. It was just, you know, they, they're breaking up. They're growing apart. And Ricky was actually cool about it. And this douchebag of a kid killed him. Yeah, like that happens like at that age, especially if like you're going to college in different places or like. Yeah. When I was a sophomore, my girlfriend was a senior and she went to college and we like fully just broke up. and It was fine. Yeah. And Garrett asks, well, why did you kill him? And Luke is like, you killed him because you smoked pot in the house. I didn't have to, but you did it. I know, which was so terrible. It's also not true. Like, yeah. he right. says that, but it's it's not true. He was fully going to kill Ricky. He's going to kill him anyway. Yeah. And he basically goes through and is like, I've, I've gotten us out of so many things. Why would you think that I wouldn't get you out of this? And he almost like buys Garrett back in of like, we're going to get out of it. It's going to be fine. And he posts on Ashley's Facebook. Um, Why can't exes just go away? Jeremy is freaking me out. Yeah. And he at this point, she says, are you going to kill him? And he's like, no, I'm just going to, you know, plant the seed and then clean it up. And Ashley tries to talk to him and it's just not working. And we cut outside in the car where we first meet Jeremy. <laughs> it was pep yeah. talk. And he's in the car drinking, giving himself a pep talk. It wasn't so much a pep talk as it was him like rehearsing how he was going to say things to Ashley. Yeah. And I found that hilarious. Hey, Ashley, sup? Hey, Ashley, sup? what's up? Fuck yeah, we cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we cool, babe. It's so cool. It was really funny. Yeah. Uh, he comes around the back, trips on the trebuchet that they use to launch the brick through the window, which the more I thought about it, I was like, did Garrett running triple wire that did the paintball and the trebuchet? Because that happens around the same time. But it's just never explained. Jeremy knocks at the back door. Garrett tries to get Ashley to be quiet. Luke is in the backyard. And he's like, oh, she's inside. But first, have a seat. Uh, she wants you to apologize. You have to write it down. Did you guys know what he was doing here? Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah, me too. I figured it's it out. And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why it cracked me up that he had such a terrible note the first draft. Yes, yes. Well, and I do love that he gave him notes on the first draft. I thought that was pretty funny <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah, because he wants a good suicide note, and it's like I was like, he's like, that's too terrible. Uh, we cut inside <laughs> to Garrett and Ashley, where Garrett basically is like, I just want tonight to be over, and Ashley kind of like reaches out and holds his fingers, yeah. and convinces him to basically untie her and undo her duct tape. Meanwhile, outside, Luke is like she wants you to apologize she said you'd know what it was for uh she wants you to write it down and he basically just says dear ashley i'm sorry and throws the <laughs> book back <laughs> i mean honestly if a 12 year old came out and told me that i'd be like no i'm here to see ashley where's ashley like i don't understand why anyone who is an adult or close to being an adult does anything this child asks them to do yeah people humor this child so much yes <laughs> people humor children though not like this 
I'd be like, no, I'm here to see Ashley, child. Go get Ashley or I'm calling the cops. Yes. Well, and the fact that every single one of his plans banks on adults humoring him. Yeah. And I think it's because he's learned that that's what they'll do. But I think it's unrealistic to the level that people humor him, basically. Yeah. Because I fully would have punched this child. I wouldn't punch him yet. Mikey, I expected you to be more on board with that than you actually were. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I would have been calling Ashley's phone. He probably has it. It would have rang. I, would, yeah, I wouldn't punch him yet. He's just doing something really weird which is yeah. write, write a note to Ashley unlike Luke Luke and Ricky had a different interaction where like he stabbed him with a pencil and then like if a child stabs with a pencil it's just like it's over yeah it's over I'm gonna use their head as a battering ram to get outside right. <laughs> listen that window needs to break and it one of us has to break it it's gonna be you child I'll just break it with your face Meanwhile, back inside the house, we get Ashley and Garrett talking, and she says, he's not your best friend. He's using you. No friend would put you through tonight, which is true. Yeah, 100% true. So Jeremy looks up from finishing writing the note, and Luke is gone. Uh, A black cat crosses his path again. Again, something that never pays off in this movie. It happens twice and doesn't pay off. I thought the black cat was just the sign of something ominous yet to come. But it only happens twice. He loops a noose around Jeremy's neck and tightens it, and Jeremy dies. This basically, I'm sorry note is left in the snow at his feet. Okay, so I have to talk about this because it drives me crazy. Yeah. Jeremy wrote this suicide note. The kid who is making him write this apology note to Ashley fully just walks away while he's writing it, goes to get a riding lawnmower, pulls it over to the noose that is in the tree, ties it to the lawnmower, and then chokes him to death. Like, I feel like that is enough time that you'd be like, wait, why is he getting a riding lawnmower in the snow? I have to kill this child now. Here's the other thing. You would have heard him walk in the snow. But secondly, he may have had the lawnmower already set up. But if that's the case, that means, A, he had to bank on him coming to the back. He had to get him into position. The guy had to have ignored the fact that there was a noose there and a lawnmower in the snow writing that note. As we know from the phone call that we heard, it was... Jeremy's plan to come around to the back. Oh, yeah. It doesn't match. It doesn't fit. It's not quite right, which is weird. But he comes back into the house as Garrett is cutting her out of the tape and the Christmas lights. Garrett apologizes and Luke shoots him. Basically says, look what you made me do. Why'd you make me do it? Garrett calls for help and says that he wants his mom before Luke shoots him in the face. So sad. And then says, you were starting to annoy me anyway. Yeah. I hate this child. I almost wish he didn't get away with it. Yeah. So... Ashley says, you were never going to let me go, were you? And he kind of cuddles up next to her and gives her this whole thing of like, remember when my mom used to tuck me in and I'd just fall asleep and then she stopped and I don't know why and that's why I don't sleep well anymore. And Ashley says, I know exactly why she stopped. You're a psychopath. (laughs) And this is another one of those things that's like, it doesn't pay off in the movie. They don't give us enough information, but it implies that his mom knows that something is wrong and can't bear to be near him. Right. Oh, I took it as Ashley was just saying, like Todd saying, calling him a psychopath. And at that point where he's like, what do you mean? You know, you and then like tried to piss him off by saying she knew and then not talking anymore. Because at that point she figured out he's going to kill her no matter what. So she was like, I'm just going to piss him off and die with dignity. Yeah. Yes. And no, because (laughs) yeah, sort of, if you don't know a ton, about serial killers that is what i would read this is clearly written by somebody who thinks they know about serial killers but didn't do enough research because what they're trying to do here is 
essentially replicate an experiment where you remove interaction from a child and they will try to get attention both negative or positive it doesn't matter right it's credited as one of the indicators of psychopathy is if a child then pursues that negative attention no matter what and that it could be an earmarker for violent behavior to come but what they're missing is that typically in those situations there are extenuating circumstances with significant amounts of abuse so i took it as the first read because this family doesn't play like abuse maybe some neglect but not abuse right. also wedding crash rule number 88 is you want attention but only positive attention exactly and i think this is also where the fetus thing is trying to play in where they're trying to play it as his mother can't bear to be around him because she already kind of suspects and that's why she's got the fetus thing to help him sleep so she doesn't have to rock him to sleep but they don't give us enough of it so we don't really know you know like this isn't we need to talk about kevin like that movie gives us that backstory this movie doesn't that movie is terrifying yeah it's just these pieces that we don't get fully realized versions of so she won't talk to him this is where he says tell me i'm fucked up and tell me you're disappointed and she closes her eyes and ignores him so this is where he literally is doing the exact thing that that experiment demonstrates of like tell me anything and that's why the only thing she can do is ignore him. Yeah, that's all she and can do. that's why she won't open her eyes. Uh, he opens a folding knife and stabs her in the neck and just says, good night. And this is where I checked out the movie because I wanted him murdered by her. Yeah. That's how I wanted the movie to end. And when he stabs him in the knife, I was like, fuck this movie. That's when I wrote in our text chat yeah. as all different text. I fucking hate this fucking movie. I, I figured as much. I think I would have liked this movie a lot if like Garrett had undone some of her ties before he got killed. And then, like, she fought him off for the rest of the movie and then ended up killing him or something. Right. I would have seen some redeeming qualities in it. I don't think there are any because of the way this movie actually ends. Yeah. Well, and I have some questions about the ending. But so at this point, thinking that she's dead, he goes out to the shed. He frames Jeremy for Ashley and Ricky's murder as well as Garrett's murder. Right. By basically putting paint on his hands and putting paint on the gun. So he's setting up a timeline for when things happen. But in order to pull that off successfully, he'd have to be a brilliant mastermind because... As we've established in this movie, a lot of this stuff is improvised, it seems. You know, not a lot of it was in the plan, but then some of it was in the plan, and that's my problem with this movie is it just doesn't fit. Yeah. He puts the spider back in its cage, which again, are there multiple spiders or just one? Who knows? He stabs a pencil in Ricky's cheek and leaves it. Then he's trying to reset the pencil for sleepwalking, and he can't. So he sets it and then runs outside on the roof, then climbs back into his room. He almost knocks over, I mean, he knocks over the Christmas decorations and has to reset them as his parents pull up but none of that pays off because they don't notice and he gets back inside right it's like falsified drama right he climbs back into his room into his bed takes a sleeping pill allegedly right turns on the fetus monitor and at this point you realize that this was his plan all along he never intended to let literally any of them live This was always the plan because we hear his parents scream. They burst into his room, see that he's fine. And his mom is rocking him as the paramedics arrive. And the paramedics scream, this one's still alive. Yep. Where we reveal that Ashley's vitals are holding because she put duct tape over the stab wound on her neck, which stopped the bleeding, at least temporarily, and saved her life. I have a question. Yeah. How did she do that? She was completely tied up and was immobile. Yeah, exactly. And so I guess my question is, maybe Garrett did get more of her untied than we thought. Yeah. Oh, and she was planning to fight him, but he stabbed her before. 
maybe or or she never planned to fight him i don't know it it doesn't fit well as they're loading her into the ambulance she looks up into the window and sees him and flips him off to which the paramedics don't question at all. No. They just like, it's fine, whatever. She's Also, if she can use a hand, I'd be like, I'd be making the writing sound of, of like, give me a piece of paper. Yeah. Not the writing sound, but the motion. <laughs> Mikey, I got it. And, and that's, that's the movie. movie. Wait, now, there's a post-credit scene though. Yeah. What? Yeah, did you did you watch I the- did not see it, no. Oh yeah, the post-credit scene is when he goes, We should go see Ashley in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, and then, it, oh, and then it goes. Shit. He's like, "Mom, I'm really worried about Ashley. Will you t- let's go to the hospital and check on her?" Yeah. Oh, see, that makes me mad because now he's he's gonna kill her in the hospital. Like he's you know yep. she's gonna get away with it because when she's getting loaded into the ambulance, my thought was, what are the odds that everyone believes her? Because I think they're kind of slim. I think they do. You think so? Yeah. I I think it's a toss up whether or not she gets believed. Although if he goes to the hospital, he's gonna kill her. I I, yeah. I don't think he holds up under interrogation. Also, the forensics, I think, are still probably around the house. Yeah, that's true. And he would have gunshot residue on him. If they test him, they would know. That's but true. But I'll say this. He's going to kill her at the hospital. Like, he fully gets away with it, and that's why I hate this movie so much. Well, I think they kind of have it both ways, where they're like, he's a villain and he's scary, but also, isn't it fun that there's a kid who's a villain? And I'm like, that's not fun. No, it's and not. And it's really troubling. <laughs> like, this whole movie is troubling. So, Mikey, you were talking about a better movie what would your better movie of this movie be her murdering him christmas with with a christmas decoration yes the movie anna and the apocalypse has a fight scene where they're using big yard christmas candy canes and stuff like that they're using like various christmas decorations as weapons i wanted to see her kill him that way yeah or or uh the parents walking in on him trying to kill her so like something his plan going wrong or something like that hear me out okay here's my here's my pitch He's been sleepwalking. They install cameras unbeknownst to him. <gasps> oh, oh, shit. That would be great. He gets through the whole movie. He doesn't know about the cameras. They get to the very end. They're fighting. She. They literally walk in on him. He tries to argue that she's been killing everyone and hurting him, which here's the thing, because if she kills him and they just show up and she's the only one alive, are they going to believe her? You know, because like that's a question. Yeah. And then, you know, the cameras or whatever. But, like, that, I think, is a way to fix this movie. I think that'd be really good. I don't think I'd like it. I think I would like it more than I do. But I sort of actively dislike this movie. Yeah. So making it to where I'm neutral on it would be a huge step up, Paige. Yeah. I liked that it tried something different. And I and I think more movies yeah. should try different things. And I will give it a lot of credit that I enjoyed watching it. I probably won't watch it again, but I really kind of like that it I didn't know what was going to happen. And I guess it's because horror is very tropey and kind of predictable. Um but I liked I think it, I I'm with Paige. It could have been done a lot better, but you know, I like that it tried for something different and I think there needs to be more of that in horror in general. Yeah, I'm all for trying something different. I'm I'm not for this movie that didn't do its homework because if you if they'd done their homework, it'd be a different movie. Or have him be less of a serial killer and more like he's trying to murder people to get more sympathy. More like a more elaborate plan for him to like get with her where he isn't so like cut and dry. See, I feel like. It's got to be a less elaborate plan. Part of the thing that doesn't work for me in this movie is the Rube Goldberg machine of his plan, where things don't fit, things rely on people acting a certain way, which you cannot predict. And I feel like I'm here for much more of a cut and dried, I am killing people to get what I want. It's not this weird mechanical way. I am just killing people 
when I have the opportunity to kill them. And that's what it is. Yeah. But I do sort of think, Mikey, if you combine what you're saying and what Paige is saying, and it's sort of like a Munchausen's type trying to kill people to get sympathy from her yeah. or whatever, that like makes more sense to me. Yeah. This movie swings at an interesting premise and fails to me. Yeah. But I, I will give it credit for swinging. A lot of movies will stick yeah. to the formula and not swing. But those movies are also way better than this. I think part of my other issues with this movie is that in misunderstanding serial killers and some of the psychological aspects of it, they also misunderstand the relationship with her. Because for people that are going to commit sexual violence like that, it is about power and control, not actual attraction. And I feel like this movie really doesn't get that, where he is actively trying to have sex with her for sexual gratification and not for a shift in power. And I think that's frustrating also, where I'm like, is he is, is he a psychopath and a serial killer or is is he a Bond villain? Like it's because it's not, there's nothing in it that's grounded in reality, I feel like. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree. So Paige, you have some fun facts for us? I do. Now, because this movie's fairly new and also uh, not a ton of people saw it, it doesn't have a ton of fun facts, but I've got a handful and then I pulled some other fun facts about serial killers in general. So of the cast, the only Americans are Patrick Warburton and Virginia Madsen, the parents. Everyone else is from Australia. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Including, and most specifically, Jeremy, who is also Billy from Stranger Things. Yeah. The mulleted older brother that I'm attracted to for no reason. And <laughs> and it was one of those things where he comes up in this movie and I was like, oh, Jeremy's kind of cute. And I was like, wait a second. And then looked it up as we were setting up the recording. Dear Paige, I'm sorry, Jeremy. <laughs> Dear Paige. <laughs> You're going to have to do better than I'm that. I'm sorry about my mullet. <laughs> now as we know there's a lot of references to home alone in this movie and it's because it was actually supposed to basically be horror home alone okay yeah and, you know so it i would say if that's what you're going for it nails it but that doesn't necessarily make for a good movie <laughs> well that's true the scene where they draw on ashley's mouth is actually almost shot for shot a scene from 2000s charlie's angels where drew barrymore's character has the same thing done to her and also both women in both movies break the chairs they're tied to and use the chair oh. as weapons against their captors so it's like that whole huh. sequence is like lifted from charlie's angels which is weird if you're curious about the paint can and that Mythbusters episode, not only would it have definitely killed the robbers in Home Alone, it would actually knock your head clean off your shoulders. <laughs> like with the speed and velocity, it would decapitate you. Your oh, neck, no. the bones oh, in your neck are no match for that paint can. Oh, my God. Um, well, that just makes me scared of flying paint cans. It should. Also, that should not be a concern in your life. What's going on that that's a thing? Yeah, I know. Construction? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> this is not a Home Alone 2. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into a little bit of the child psychopathy portion of this film. I am not a mental health professional. Michael is. Yeah, Mikey is a licensed therapist. <laughs> yeah. You stop, stop. <laughs> As somebody who is a true crime nerd, um, one of, I think, the most interesting things that I've read about child psychopathy is actually an article in The Atlantic uh, from June of 2017 called When Your Child is a Psychopath, where they actually interview the parents of children who have been institutionalized for psychopathy and basically what happened to get them to that point 
what those kids' day-to-day lives are and what their treatment options are going forward. And it's super interesting. It's also very sad, but I do recommend listen or reading it um, just to get an idea. Yeah, with work, we do see kids who like murder animals and like, you know, pull knives on family members and things like that and uh, start fires and bedwetting and all. And like, just because you have the signs of a future serial killer doesn't mean you will be a serial killer. It, it, it's usually a sign of like severe abuse or neglect and it's not untreatable, but it's, it's, it's a long road and it's just a big red flag. So it's just kind of like not all people who are abused as children become serial killers. Right. But generally, if you're a serial killer, you were abused as a child. Right. right. So, right. So you have a lot of these, the same symptoms as that, but it's mainly, these are symptoms of abuse in children, not serial killers. It's just sometimes in the yes. cases, serial killers come from them. Well, funny you sense. should mention that. Cause that's actually the next thing I have in my notes. So one of the things that this movie kind of relies on and a lot of, you know, I would say older true crime relies on is something called the McDonald triad. Uh, it's also sometimes called the triad of sociopathy or the homicidal triad, which is a, a set of factors that it's been suggested that any combination of two or more are present in somebody's life. It's likely that it could be predictive of or associated with later violent tendencies. And again, that's them kind of working backwards. It's like if we look at all serial killers, they tend to have these things in common as opposed to right. looking at everyone who has those things in common and seeing how many of them show up as serial killers. Right, exa- exactly. Um, it was first proposed by a psychologist named J.M. McDonald in his book, a Th- The Threat to Kill, or I'm sorry, it was an article, but it's a very long article. It's basically book-sized. Uh, and that was published in 1963 in the American Journal of Psychiatry. But there have been many small-scale studies conducted since. In fact, people continually test this. Uh, and although it remains pretty influential and widely taught, subsequent research generally doesn't validate the McDonald triad. Um, again, that triad is cruelty to animals, obsession with fire setting and persistent bedwetting. Also, um, violent head injuries is another one. Mm -hmm. More recent studies have suggested that these behaviors are way more linked to childhood parental neglect, brutality or abuse. And many people would argue that that kind of an abusive environment is what truly results in being prone to homicidal tendencies. So it's not necessarily that hurting animals or the bedwetting or the fire starting itself is what makes you homicidal it's the situation that you're living in that causes those symptoms one of the things that they looked at specifically is hurting animals which is something that happens in this movie Um, and they say that most of the time when they would interview those children they're venting frustrations because the person or thing that's causing them anger or humiliation or pain is too powerful for them to take down so they're hurting something on a smaller scale that they can control which again most serial killers are control freaks it's all about control and so for them it's them trying to regain some agency in their life by torturing and killing something smaller than them right it's like after a breakup you change your hair color that's a very crass way of putting it he's he's absolutely (laughs) right though no, no, I know, I know, but it's just like we're talking about killing animals because they're smaller than you, and then you're like, but it's also like changing your hair color after a break. I'm keeping it light. This is a comedy podcast. <laughs> um, they did, they did find. Oh. In 2003, they had a study where they basically interviewed a bunch of violent offenders and about 56% of them admitted to hurting animals as children. But it was also found in that same study 
that nearly everyone who hurt animals and some of the people that didn't, who were also violent offenders, were victims of parental abuse or abusive or neglectful situations as children. So yes. all of this to say that correlation does not equal causation and more likely it is abusive home environments that tend to cause violent tendencies. There you yeah. go. And even kids in those environments are not beyond hope. Yeah, it's not it's not a monolith. I, I mean, every person is different. But when looking at serial violent offenders, there are commonalities. I would say of the four things that you mentioned, I have three of them in my childhood. You liked fire, you wet your bed and you had a severe head injury. I had multiple severe head injuries as a child. Yes, this explains a lot. But I have not, to my knowledge, killed one or multiple people. But here's the here's the thing. What child does not like setting fires? I know, That's, right? Okay, thank you. I literally, I was just a dumb kid, and I lived in Florida for two years, and we had fire ants in our yard, and I said, you know, it would be funny if we turned fire ants into real fire ants, and I set the yard on fire with gasoline. So what you're saying is you have four because ants are an animal. So you've hurt animals, <laughs> oh, set fires, oh my God. wet your bed, and had head injuries. <laughs> Where are the bodies, John? (laughs) I agree. I'm I'm with Paige on this. Oh, no. This is a very sad realization we're having in a very horrible movie. I don't (laughs) like gory movies. What a front. We're we're his beard, Paige. (laughs) His murder beard. I'm also a little bit into control. Murder beard was my dancing nickname in college. (laughs) (laughs) That's my pirate name. Arr, my name's Murderbeard. <laughs> Murderbeard. The real Murderbeard is living like a king in Patagonia. <laughs> okay, uh, is there box office? Yes, there is box office, and I'm so glad you asked. Mikey and Paige, what do you think the budget was for this movie? A million? I'm going to say five million. Okay, it is the very definition of a single location movie, and I do like that you guys were like on either side of it. Mikey, you said one. Paige, you said five. It's three million. Okay. Okay. This movie came out October 6, 2017 in theaters. Okay. And it was 56 that weekend it came out. Yeah. Name all 55. <laughs> <laughs> I will. I will because we always do it. I will do the top five. It was Blade Runner 2049, The Mountain like Between Us. Oh, ooh, th- we can do that on Romance of the Pod. That's a good that's a good winter one. Okay. It was 3. My Little Pony was number 4. Friendship is magic. And <laughs> Kingsman the Golden Circle was number 5. There was also 50 other movies that came in before this Wait, one. Wait, time out, time out. I, Paige, how surprised are you that Todd is not a brony? Mm, not that surprised because bronies are nude and he needs more layers. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. I'm more of a Tobias Funke than a uh Yeah, he's a a never nude. <laughs> I have on many occasions slept in jeans. I'll just say that right now. Oh, oh my that's god. So uncomfortable. That's that's the fifth thing about being a serial killer. <laughs> Here's the thing that I don't miss about not drinking is occasionally falling asleep in jeans because you wake up so uncomfortable. Right. Yeah, I'll openly admit that sleeping in jeans is not my default setting, but I have been so tired that I have fallen asleep in jeans. No. So (laughs) you wear jeans in your own home. So I don't I mean, like, I don't wear jeans unless I'm leaving my house. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm wearing them right now. (laughs) 
For those of you who can't see us, which is everyone listening, I just stood up to show my jeans. Yeah, I have not recorded not in pajamas since we've started doing this at home. I haven't worn real shoes in nine months. <laughs> <laughs> Your real shoes had a baby? So, like I was saying, there were 50 movies between the top five and this one. So, what do you think this movie made its opening weekend? $17.26. Uh, You guys are both low It's $12,569 Nice dollars That's still not great for a $3 million investment I would assume they got made to go to streaming Yeah All right. so what do you think this movie made Domestically at the box office For it's total run So it made $12,500 It's opening weekend What do you think it made total box office 100,000. Okay, Mikey. 55,000. It made 20,369 nice dollars. Oh, that's bad. Now, Paige, it did make more money internationally. It's in the $100,000 range. That's the reason I called it out because you said $100,000. Mm-hmm. It made an extra $168,387 internationally. So that put this movie up at $188,000 worldwide box office. And then it made another hundred and sixty-two dollars in the home market. Huh. So this movie made a little over $300,000 on a $3 million budget. And no one who worked on this film should work again. Except for Patrick Warburton. Well, Patrick Warburton, honestly, I don't think this movie is poorly acted yeah that's true is this these people's first movie i don't know i mean i feel like there's potential here if they're they're creative at least so i mean i feel like if you if you tighten it up a bit i think there's a good movie that to be made with these people i also think there's no names in this movie except for patrick warburton and he's in two scenes of it and this movie's coming out against it like if you're a horror movie coming out against it like there's no hope for you but Paige, this movie came out against it and lost to it by 52 movies. Yeah. I, I don't think it, w- it was made to do a theatrical run. I don't even. Me either. Yeah, this is definitely a streamer. I, like, I think streaming wise this fits, but that's still a pretty hefty budget for low returns. Yeah, the, the most number of theaters it was in was 25. Now, mind you, when it debuted, it debuted to 4,103 theaters. Yeah. So, like, it was not in many theaters. It was hard to find. And it's honestly, like, not a good movie. So don't watch it. Yeah. I think if you're looking for a Christmas horror film, go ahead and check it out because you've probably seen the rest of them. I would say make the original thing your Christmas horror film. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, just deep fake a wreath around McCready's neck and then we're good. Okay. Okay. Christmas Chronicles 3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Mikey, what uh, you want to hit us with that scary scale? Yeah, scary scale, scale one to ten of how scary we found the film. Not a metric of quality of just how scary we were when we watched it. Our one example is Ghostbusters. Our ten example is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And we'll start with Paige. Oh, one hard one. Yes, and Todd. If I could give this a zero, I would, but it's fully a one. I also give it a one. Ah, yeah. I'm going to give it a two for two reasons. I got really creeped out when he was trying to like, he got all sexual with her and I got, I was kind of scared about what was about to happen. And that's it. So two. See, for me, I find that stuff so unbelievable that I fully disassociate from the movie and it just, nothing bothers me anymore. Oh yeah. That's uh, the sixth sign of a serial killer. <laughs> the other sign of a serial killer is if we look in your mouth and you have fillings, but then if we test your blood and it tries to get away. <laughs> They're porcelain, Paige. All my feelings are porcelain. You can't tell. That's how we know you're a serial killer. (laughs) I'm 
may fully cut that part. And the only reason I bring up that I had a, I have a lot of those signs apparently is because you can live a normal life having like lived through that. Oh, yeah. that's fun. You think you're not your life is normal. That's great. <laughs> no, I do punish myself a lot by creating a lot of extra work for myself. Yeah, murdering people and hiding the bodies is a lot of extra work. <laughs> it Ugh, is. I meant just podcast extra work. The one thing I have learned from true crime and hanging out with police, don't talk to police without a lawyer. Like, for God's sakes. Never, ever. Oh, I learned that from Law & Order SVU. So this week, Mikey made us watch Better Watch Out. What are you guys making me watch next week? Well, you know, last year, you guys established a tradition. I mean, a tradition that can only go two years. But that means that this year we're going to do it. (laughs) You mean like relationships? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh... (laughs) Wait, what? <laughs> Mikey, if you have a relationship that lasts two years, you're going to have at least one child. Hey, hey, Paige, this tradition is as long as Todd's watching a Love Actually's tradition. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of relationships, Mikey, there are boobs in this one. You get to see Gremlins too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gremlin boobies. Gremlin boobies. So we are going to watch Gremlins 2 for next week. The new bet. So your homework is to get eggnog drunk and watch Gremlins 2 because this is not a movie anybody should watch sober. <laughs> also, I haven't seen it in like seven years and I, I haven't eaten. No, it's been so much longer for me. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I don't know if it takes place at Christmas or not, but we're going there. I've never seen this movie. Really? You've got to watch the first one, Paige. I know. I've never seen the first one either. You would love Holy the first shit. one. Holy shit. I'll have to watch the first. I'll watch the first and the second one so I can be prepared. Excellent. All right. Well, guys, shotgun both of them and then listen to our episode like Paige is going to do. And then listen to our The Gremlins 2 episode next week when it drops. So we are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. And if you would check out their other podcasts at Consequence of sound.net uh, or if you want to check out our stuff we are at horrorvirgin.com or if, and if you want to help financially support the show please do by going to patreon.com slash horrorvirgin where there's literally hours of bonus audio and video content listener requests like you were able to participate in to pick what movie we're doing next all that kind of stuff so guys check out the patreon and if you can't help financially support the show but still want your daily free horror virgin content go to the facebook group and it's like 1500 people hanging out talking about horror having a good time supporting each other. It's a great, really welcome community. It's awesome. We won't sew you up into a bear suit and then set you on fire. We promise. We will. <laughs> if you like this power thruple and you want to hear us talk about romantic movies, check out our other podcast, Romancing the Pod. Paige is also on Cult Podcast and Black Card Rehab. And if you want to follow our show on social, we are at Horror Virgin. We are all Available individually on socials as well. Paige is at Rampage Wesley everywhere but Twitter, where she is at Paige Wesley. Mm-hmm. Mikey is at M Randolph 24, and I am at Todd J Awesome everywhere. So follow us. This episode was brought to you by Nick, Nick B. B. Okay, a uh, fun fact about Nick B. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He um murdered small animals, but they were plague carrying rats. So I don't know if he's a serial killer or not. I, I honestly just think he was trying to save his community from the resurgence of the plague. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Nick B., if you need some help, just Pied Piper all those rats to your place and just mow them down with, I'm assuming, your firearm because you, you were in the uh, armed services over there. No, he's English. He's English. I know, but he was in the armed services. I think they can keep a firearm when they retire. I think I think it's just a sword. You know what? That may be a fact you made up I just thought was actually true. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to know anymore? Uh, who even knows? Nick B, we love you. This episode also brought to you by Ori. Ori. 
Uh, and Ori did like this amazing thing. Like I had, I was like running by her house and uh, someone thought I was like there when I shouldn't have been. So, so he came up and stabbed me in the neck and then Ori came out and like put duct tape over my neck so I wouldn't bleed out for the paramedics to get there and save me. <laughs> Oh, Convenient. I thought you would have duct tape all over your skin anyway, just as another layer. <laughs> just mummify yourself this in duct tape. thing is getting out of hand. <laughs> I mean, I am wearing a shirt and a hoodie inside. You, it is Sunday night, Thanksgiving weekend. <laughs> you are inside your own house with a hoodie, yep. two layers, and jeans. Are you wearing shoes inside? I'm wearing socks and house shoes. Fuck. What is wrong with you? I like to be cozy, and I will be cozy how I feel cozy, you bastard. This is, like, to me, this is as weird as you walking around your own house in a wetsuit. <laughs> then how am I going to go couch surfing? <laughs> <laughs> well, this shout-out to Ori became a beat-up-on-Todd segment, but Ori, we love you. Thank you so much for being a member of the Patreon. This episode also brought to you by Brandon's Bug Business. And that's not the name of it. I just like the alliteration of that. Brandon's Bug Business is called Bug Cage Company, and you can find it on Facebook. And I would suggest that you all do if you want tarantulas, spiders, scorpions, centipedes, millipedes, or other apedes that you can then mail to Mikey. I will send you his address if it's a spider. Yes, don't do that. <laughs> all I heard was yes. He's down. Let's do it, baby. <laughs> so, guys, if you have some bug or buggy needs, go to Bug Cage Company on Facebook. Uh, thank you, Brandon, for providing our fans with a way to scare the shit out of Mikey. This episode also brought to you by Scott. Scott. And Scott wants everyone to check out the Indiegogo campaign for the hopefully upcoming movie Christmas Chaos. It's going to be a mock documentary that they're trying to get funded on Indiegogo. So if you guys would check it out and if you can give, give. And let's see if we can get this movie made. A movie called Christmas Chaos. I mean, as we said in this episode, we need more Christmas horror. So... That's the thing. We do, yeah. So if you guys want to help with that, go to Indiegogo and just search Christmas Chaos. It literally is the only thing that'll come up um, about it. So search Christmas Chaos and you'll see it. They do need $12,000. So let's see if we can help them get there. We now return you to another episode of The, the Patrioticals. Cue Shangri-La. You have Kate and Eddie and Tristam and Sasha uh, talking to Scott, the leader of Shangri-La. And he's like, you know, we're, we're safe. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, it's Christmas. He's dressed up like Santa Claus. And he's like, right. I, I've got yeah. some presents for you. And uh, he hands them all presents. Was one of them like a heart for uh, Tristam? And one of them was <laughs> bravery for one of them? <laughs> now, and, and Kate is given these ruby slippers? <laughs> Not quite. Scott's gotten all out because he's got reindeer and everything. You might say he's a wizard. But then the reindeer whispers to Eddie. He's like, this motherfucker is evil. <laughs> <laughs> and... and uh, so uh, he uh, Tristam's package explodes and he goes through the wall. Wow. Okay. I didn't. I didn't think it would happen this fast. I mean, well, I honestly, happening. I'm I'm surprised that this early in the story that somebody's high defying gravity. Your entire movie, <laughs> like this entire story, is Wizard of Oz. And Tristam's oh, arm is all bucked up and broken because of the he was holding the package, but he's like the rest of him is fine because he's a robot. So Eddie yeah. didn't even take pick up his gift because he was like reindeer ratted the guy out scott yeah uh santa scott and so eddie just was like he <laughs> gets on the reindeer and just he's like everybody run scott's evil and uh <laughs> so, so so he's fully just riding the reindeer out while yelling get out he's evil and, and sasha which, yeah 
Sasha yells. Which is information they didn't need because the package is already exploded. <laughs> right? And then Sasha yells, I'm a behavior analyst, <laughs> and I knew he was evil the whole time. <laughs> I've been analyzing his behavior for weeks. I just kept it to myself. I wanted to see how it played out. <laughs> because that package blew up, I knew he was evil. <laughs> so she runs out of the room. Then <laughs> Kate, Kate, uh, the Scots, like this was secretly um, Illuminati place all along. You guys fell right into our trap. <laughs> ho 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 ho. <laughs> it's an evil Santa left. Yes, and he has uh, psychic powers too. So him and Kate fly off into the Himalayas, and they do like a Dragon Ball Z fight, and like uh, anime cartoon or live action movie. Uh, anime cartoon. Okay. So it's just a bunch of close ups of them sweating and being like, ah! oh! <laughs> yeah. It's basically <laughs> like Edward looking at Bella. <laughs> oh yeah, and uh, yeah. Kate. She ends up killing him with a really cool way. You guys should have seen it. But she gets thrown down the Himalayas. She gets thrown down the Himalayas, and she's like covered in an avalanche or something like that. Oh, no. <laughs> or something like that. And she has like a psychic bubble around her protecting her. But she's like, oh, this is taking all my powers. I don't know if I'm going to make it. So she's cliffhanging. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay and so that's what's that's what happened in uh single then you cut to the airport isaac evil matthew karoon and dave are hanging out and then karoon was like guys i know that you guys are kind of evil except for you dave dave i'm also not evil i'm just an alien but earth sucks <laughs> yeah is there a way off this planet or is there, like, is there anything in space? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are they asking an alien who is not from this planet if there is a way to get off the planet? <laughs> yes. Of course there is. He is there as a representation of such. No, Earth he's sucks. Asking them. I know. He's asking them. <laughs> Isaac's like, Isaac and Evil Matthew are like, yeah, Earth sucks. That's why we're evil. We don't like it. And then. Karun was like, if you get me to like some space age technology, I think I can get us off this planet or whatever. So like, let's steal a plane and go to where that is. And then like Dave's like, we can go to Cape Canaveral or something. She left me shuttles by the stairs. Space travel makes me know she cares. Saying it's so so this jet's about to take off because this is a big airport this is they're in it's like the biggest airport in south south africa anyway evil matthew was like we gotta stop that plane so he throws dave into the engine which doesn't blow oh up he just God. gets sucked in and torn into a billion pieces and then like they scoop him up and they since the plane's up they get him on the plane they hijack the plane I'm sorry. They destroy the engine of the plane to hijack it? No, 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 no. The the plane destroys Dave, but they stop because they're horrified that they killed a man. Or a man died in their engine. The pilots stop. Like you should be, right. Oh, so the engine's but, fine. It's fully fine just spitting yes. out Dave. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> so they bag Dave up to go. <laughs> we need to go bag for Dave. And Keep just, your Dave and, and, still. He'll be your thrill. The engine goes on like a windmill. Okay. And uh, Evil Matthew can fly. He's a pilot somehow. And so they are headed to Cape Canaveral, Florida to try to escape Earth. Okay. And I, I want to say that's one of my top five favorite episodes of Patreonicals I think I've made up on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> will the rest of the Shangri-La crew be able to save Kate in time? How long will it take Dave to reassemble after being torn up by an engine? 
Did Mikey suggest that he just makes all of these up on the spot and doesn't prepare for this in advance? <laughs> Find out next week on another episode of uh, The, the Patreonicals. All right, Paige, get us out of here. That's going to be it for us, you guys. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your horror virgin Todd, guys. Keep it ooky spooky. Have an amazing Ooh. week. And Merry Christmas. Bye. Laters, baby. <laughs> no, wrong podcast. <laughs> wrong podcast. That movie this is horrifying. Pod. This is a podcast <laughs> that's slowly morphing into the Murdering Children podcast. That are evil and they deserve it. Right. Let's put that caveat on it. Yeah. Let's make sure they understand. <laughs> It's not just regular children. Psychopath nerds. Consequence Podcast Network.